One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello everybody, Chris here. Just a quick word to say this episode was recorded before lockdown came into place and a reminder that we are currently releasing one episode of Homo Sapiens per week. The main episode and then a Homo Sapiens extra the following week recorded over Skype. Here is our episode with Hannah Gadsby. It's a great episode. Well, the thing is, where are those chocolate things? Put that here. Whoops, busted. <laughs> I thought you can't eat that. Chocolate? Because it's not vegan. Oh, well, why did you give it to me then? Is it not, I, I didn't, it was vegan I was, chocolate. No, I said I got you the, I got oh you the fruit slices Almonds. over there. Let me see. Let me see. I don't know if my glasses are, oh, I do have my glasses on. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, Alan? Tell me. Um, Pretty good. I'm a little tired. Mm-hmm. I love that you're wearing the Homo sapiens merchandise that nobody can buy because it's guys, not available on the guys, website. I have got so much break. <laughs> got so much breaking news about that. Oh, that's I'm just going to get rid of these chocolates because, dear listeners, you always complain about us eating on the podcast, but then other people. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh, this is a whole thing, Alan. But then people write in and say, actually, we think you should never stop eating and stop being your true self. Well, I might open my mango. Mango. I've just got some mango. <laughs> dried. We got Alan's. I got Alan some dried mango and I got everyone a coffee. I um, have actually got some really good news about the merchandise. Please break it to us. Well, I got the web address of where you can buy it. And Thank you. If you go to www.eberpress.com forward slash homo sapiens, all one word, you, dear listeners, will be able to buy yourself a sweater yeah. with Homo sapiens on it or a t-shirt with Homo what sapiens What was the website again? Everpress.com forward slash Homo sapiens. God, you couldn't make it any more complicated, could you? I think that's pretty simple. <laughs> Is there not a dot com or anything at the end? <laughs> Everpress.com forward, oh, slash, forward homo slash Homo sapiens. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's such a granny thing to say. Anyway. <laughs> Should we talk about this week's guest? Who is it? It's Hannah Gadsby. Oh, I love Hannah Gadsby. Uh, I love the way you say that like you weren't there at the interview. <laughs> no, yes. <laughs> oh, I, I was like in my her. house as well. What's she like? Um, she, so she kind of came to everybody's attention with Nanette, right? Well, outside of Australia, I imagine. She was big yes. in Australia before that. Yeah, good point. But yes, absolutely. Nanette was a, 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 a comedy special that she did for Netflix. Did it on two and then did it for Netflix. And mm. it became a sensation, partly because it was... Uh, not that funny, because uh, she... Well, I mean, you know, it was funny, Will you but... let her have that quote for the poster? <laughs> <laughs> but she talked about abuse yeah. and uh, various, you know, misogyny and transphobia and things like that, and, and just and made really great connections about herself as a performer, kind of, in a way... Um, 
encouraging or not encouraging, but maybe sort of validating in a way uh, the type of humor that is indeed misogynist and yeah. transphobic and stuff. And so, so, and so the kind of thing that she said in, in um, Nanette was that she said she was going to stop doing that kind of you know, self-deprecating humor because yes. actually it contributes to the problem. And it was an incredible, incredibly powerful, moving and hilarious special. And I, and I, I mean, I think one of the interesting things about about when you have a huge success like that, and also when you make a proclamation like that, is mm. what where do you go from there? And that's yes. what's really interesting about the interview and about what about her next show and what she came back with because she said <clears throat> because actually she had she sort of come out as being autistic now as yes. well, and she said that actually she'd had that diagnosis prior to doing Nanette, but mm. she chose not to speak about it in Nanette because she felt she had a bigger point to make with Nanette and she didn't she want said to no no it. Nanette <laughs> no net <laughs> and um and then do you not know that musical it's called no 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 net oh no no I thought oh, you know that. oh my god I'm making musical jokes and you're not even getting them <laughs> and then if you're in Scotland and someone says to you um do you do you are you aware my plucky Nanette yeah plucky Nanette no but if you say there's a thing if you say are you aware of that musical yeah in Scotland you can say do you know no 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 Nanette <laughs> <laughs> thank you she said, yeah, she didn't want to talk about it. And I thought that was interesting. I also think that for, particularly for the LGBTQ plus community, th that idea of sending yourself up for humor and actually not wanting to do that anymore was so pertinent for me at the time that I saw Nanette when it first came out. And I just thought it's very true, you know? Don't. We're so used to, I remember having conversations when I came out with my friends from school. I remember having conversations when I came out with people from school because I was 19. So people I knew from school being like, oh, you're at school at 19. No, as in they were friends from school. Oh, right. Got it. It wasn't like I was put back a year. And <laughs> no, I just remember saying to people like, oh, I'm gay, but I'm not like that kind of gay. And, you know, he's having to try to qualify it and what stuff. What does that mean? You know, like, I'm not going to be a promiscuous gay person. And, oh, my you know, God. Having to, I mean, little did they know. Why did, I know, but why did they care? Because I think it was about back then. Well, what time was that? Well, this would have been 17, 18, 19. Well, what, was, what was different then? People were less cool with it, weren't they? Less cool with, like, shagging around. People being gay, I'm saying. Oh, being gay, I see. Was, well, so basically course. you're saying, I'm going to be a gay, but I'm not going to have sex. Like, I'm not going to... I'm not going to be... Do you know what it was? It was like, if you think about even then, the image of, of it then was George Michael is AIDSy. That was the image, you know? Oh, was that when he was, like, bashing into trees and things with his Range Rover? I and, think and, so. And and just, he was just vilified and it was disgusting. Was well, he? He was treated and the way Elton because... was treated. Because he was made to feel other. But, but what I'm, in a very long-winded way, mm -hmm. saying is that I just think that's about Hannah Gadsby saying that, you know... A lot of people have to send themselves up and they don't want to anymore. And I liked that. And then we went to see Douglas, her show. Yes, that's right. Where we learned all about the fold of Douglas, which you will all find out what that is, which was very funny. And she said some really, she said some fascinating stuff about... Um, the patriarchy. Mm, damn them. Damn them. As a sort of, as a as a as a source of your material and and also for comedic material, I think it's great the way she makes things funny and also makes a great point, and quite revelatory as well. Yes, um, um, and and also she's just you know because of her autism, mm. she says she notices the details in, in certain things that other people wouldn't. And, and we were in my house, and we were, I was showing her around, 
in the dressing room and we'd been, I, I met Hannah at this uh, thing we'd been invited to that Amazon did and you got a free um, wheelie bag as a, as a sort of a gift. Uh, you know what you call it? Is that call that a gift? Not a really, <laughs> lots of gifts. <laughs> the thing that little trolley tro- tro- bags take when you... Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, in my dressing room, it was all piles of clothes and bags and things. And uh, we were going round and she went, oh, that's the Amazon. You got that Amazon thing? And I was like, oh, yes, I did. Oh. And and then, because uh, I, and she said later about how she notices really bizarre details. Yes. And I was like, it was kind of full of clothes, spilling out. It was just, I just thought it was really interesting that that, there was an example of that just happened there. She just completely zoned in on a thing in the room that was yeah. a link to something we'd had. And she said she sees sees stuff that other people don't, but then cannot see stuff that everyone else can see. And that's yeah. why she feels yeah. so other. Like remembering to send me one of those bum bags. Oh, was she meant to send you one? Mm-hmm. And she didn't? No. Wow. Hmm. <laughs> if she listens to this, she probably either will hate me forever or will send me one. Now, Alan, I'm feeling in an agony uncle frame of mind. Me too. Yourself? From R. It's, well, I can say Rob. It's Rob. <laughs> well, um, I can say his surname. Sorry. Yeah, it's, it's how do you cope with the death of a pet when you're already suffering from depression? That's a lot, Rob. But I would say, I mean, like, for example, when Honey died, who was my dog, poor Lala, I was devastated. Mm. And I left it a while. But I mean, you know, I, the thing is that, I, I mean, I wasn't depressed already. But I think the thing about when dogs die is to try and remember what a great, the great things they have given you, or yeah. pets in general. The mm. great things they have given you, the, way, the great lessons. Like when Honey died, she taught me a lot about how I want to end my life and, and the quality of life and what I think is important. And this obsession, especially in America, with longevity uh, 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 versus the actual quality of life. Yes. So just try and think of the wonderful uh, things that this person, this animal has left you. Mm. Um, and also just about what the great life you've given them, the great opportunities you've given them. Mm. You know, I, I adopted Honey, just like I adopted Lala. I would always advocate adopting dogs rather than getting them from puppy farms. I'm going to be Miss Jean Brady and say, also you should seek medical and professional help, but, Absolutely. It's, but it's extremely hard. How about this one? From somebody else mm-hmm. called L. Mm-hmm. How do you get over a therapist crush? I've tried just about everything. Oh. Very interesting, Mr. Bond. crush? I have never had a therapist crush. Have you not? I've only ever had one male therapist and not had a crush. I don't actually understand it, but I don't understand it as a concept. But you said that you've had it, right? I've had it. How do you get over it? You have to acknowledge it. I mean, I right. think now with my therapist, I, uh, well, you know, the last time, every, in, the, in the times I've had therapists, uh, new ones, I say things like, I know I'm going to charm you. I'm mm. going to, uh, you know, I'm actually, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm better. I don't, I'm not, I have nothing to hide anymore. I've got no <laughs> more secrets to unveil. But but I, I in the past, have done that thing of both, uh, you know, using my charm to not deal with mm-hmm. what we need to talk about. And also, I that charm is also transferred back to them. Yeah. In a sort of a uh, so anyway, I I've I've had it, and I um, I talked. I said to her, I think you're you know I have sexual fantasies about you. I think, mm-hmm. but it's a thing. It's a thing. It's it's a thing. In, like, Alan, you locked like, the door. <laughs> <laughs> I've had clunk I said, sexual lock fantasy. that door now and get your clothes off. Um, no. Uh, you know, there's a thing within psychology and psychi- uh, psychiatry mm. that 
it's a condition. It's a part of, you know, what can happen in a room with, the, with someone who is t taking on a role that is loving, nurturing. Mm -hmm. It's a kind of a psychological uh, thing that happens. So it's, it's perfectly normal, uh, Rob. Uh, it happens all the time. It's happened to me. And I, how I got over it was just, I had sex with my therapest. Did you? No, oh, of course right. I, I didn't. Say, wow. Oh my God. You kept that that was called comedy. No, no I was like, no. How, how did you leave it that bit to the No, end? I just talked, I just talked to him, to him about it. And he said it's perfectly normal and he's flattered and blah, 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 and all that stuff. And yeah. then we just moved on. And after that, I kind of got over it. But I also think, okay, so one thing, address it and move on. But I also think, you know, there's plenty of therapists out there. Like, keep your life simple. Like, just change if it's becoming a thing. Right. But I, I don't agree with that. Really? Why? Because I think, actually, it's a thing that is normal. You just have to talk about it. And don't, you know, the, you know, the bored, boringness of having to start with a new therapist and tell them years of your shit. Mm. That I think it's just, I don't think you should start with a new therapist just because you have a thing for them. I think you should just say it's a part of being... In a, in a, I'm drawn to this person because there's many qualities about them that I find attractive, really? and they and and I've got to just accept that. And we let's discuss it. They will have something to say to you about it. They will help you. Don't keep it from them. Oh, no, what the hell? An elephant arriving. It did sound like an elephant. No, there was an elephant. A, like in the a show. jet going up the stairs. I, I just well, listen. It's personal. I just. Are you going to agree to disagree? I could not have a. I wouldn't be able to have a conversation with someone I found attractive. I've just been thinking about that all the time. What? And you, you wouldn't be able to do that with your therapist. What did I'm shocked at that? Really? You've got to be able to talk to everything, but with your therapist. No, but as an I just wouldn't have it as an undercurrent. I'm there to do something else. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, you feel I, you wouldn't be? You'd be superhuman and not be attracted, not have the crush thing. I'd just be like, you being attractive is distracting me from what I need to get done here. Wow, well, you sound like a machine. Like, don't you find your attractions and your crushes are just things that you have no control over? Well, that's why I'm saying I'd just move, change therapist. That's what I'm saying. Well, that's my point. I'm saying you shouldn't do that. You should talk about it. <laughs> So I was right. Well, you that. and me. <laughs> so that's, that's what happened. So that's what agreeing to disagree with Alan looks good. like. Um, okay. <laughs> Drop the mic. I'll, I'll be over here with my mangoes. Having answered, I think, 90% of the world's problems, should we... Um, let's hear about Hannah Gadsby. Let's hear from Hannah Gadsby and how she solved all of her woes. I play a game with myself. Is it autism or am I an asshole? Like, it's a, like, I have to be very careful of that because I don't want to go... Oh, I can just say things to people's face now without care because I'm blunt. Mm. No, that's not how it rolls. I am blunt. I'm very direct. But, you know, I, I, I am constantly coaching myself. Are you, uh, is this autism or are you an asshole? Mm. And I'm quite happy that to, to report that sometimes I'm just an asshole. <laughs> <laughs>
was, uh, and then I sort of went to Adelaide where my sister lives and I lived with her for a couple of years. And then I moved to Melbourne where I lived with my, you know, it, did took, me, it took me a good five years to get on, you know, onto my own feet. And it was through, you know, my family, like living with my family, like right. they just like, you live with us. And what was your first um, stand-up set about? It was so surreal because I'd never seen stand-up. I'd heard a little bit of a snippet on the radio and like anyone who's, you know, a little bit drunk and a little bit, like, that looks like, that sounds easy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was for a national competition and the, the raw comedy, it's run through the Melbourne Comedy Festival and a, mm. and a youth radio station, Triple J. And so it's kind of, a, it's kind of in the ether, like I've always sort of known about, everyone knows, kind of knows about raw comedy, so it's, that, but that's the only thing I understood about comedy. Whenever, you know, we didn't watch comedy growing up, there's no live scene, <laughs> like theatre. There wasn't even a cinema where I was growing up, so it really was the TV. And mum doesn't like, you know, whenever there would be, if ever on a rare occasion stand-up would come on, mum would like switch it off because it represented two of the things she hated most in the world, and that's men who shout and men who think they're funny. And <laughs> I've got news for them. Um, <laughs> so that's why that was stand up for me. Um, <laughs> Magnet. <laughs> so, um, so I understood that I entered this competition, it was in a place called Wollongong oh, yeah. in 2005. And I understood, I, had, I think it was five minutes, I had to do five minutes, I'd never written anything. And I did this because my childhood dog had died recently, Ronnie Barker. I don't know oh, yeah. um, and so that got me thinking, like, I was so sad that I couldn't have a dog. And I didn't really know this because I don't have a home. Mm. But I'm like, what would I do if I had a dog and he died? Like, you're supposed to bury your dogs in your backyard. Well, you know, oh. that idea of like something as beloved as a pet dog, you bury in your backyard and you have a little, you know, Ceremony. Ceremony and a, a rock. That <laughs> 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 says, don't dig here. Um, <laughs> and uh, so that was playing in my mind. And so I, I began to think, like, what would I do if I had a dog and I don't have a backyard? And I've really never done stand-up this crazy since. But it, I think about it now, going, this is real surreal stuff. Like, I started off, and the first thing I, I just walked up and said, well, I've got, my, I've got a dog in my freezer. <laughs> and um, like, I'm, like, I still remember it a little bit. It's like, I've got a dog in my freezer. And they, they explain, explained that, you know, it died, but I can't afford to get it cremated so I can keep my beloved dog. And I thought, well, how hard could it be to cremate a small dog at home alone? Like, so then, like, I'm building, and then I'm like, look into it. So I'm building this whole world, and I'm like, well, it's actually quite difficult, but I found out too late, and I just had this, like, charred dog on a, on a Weber. Um, <laughs> and so, like, it's all made up. Like, it's, but, uh, you know, it was real in my head. That's the kind of, you know, because I, I think about these things, and then I follow them through, and I'm like, it wouldn't work, but now I've got a charred dog, and so I put him in a. Yeah, so that was. And so people he was were, charred when he went in the freezer. Yeah. Oh right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So that's it's even worse, yeah. right? <laughs> but that's so bizarre. Like it's such. But I won because yeah. I think because you know I was just so different. Yeah. And I was just and back then I I really did speak with a real monotone. I had no like and I was I've learned how to modulate my voice and stuff. But I was just like so I got a dog in my freezer, <laughs> and so you know like it was just this bizarre creature with a like oh, what is this? Yeah. 
and I went through and I went to the state finals in, the, in, in Sydney. Then I didn't go any further because, you know, I obviously didn't understand what I was doing. And, and also it's now I know, I look back, it's like, oh, these people are doing stand-up all the time and they understand it and, you know, there's a whole culture around it that I, I, I did not, and I did never understood it, but now we know why. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but so I was still in the midst of this homelessness situation and I, I wound up in Byron Bay, outside of Byron Bay. And oh, I was, yeah. Oh, I love Byron Bay. Yeah, and I was, I was camping illegally on a, on a sand dune, really. Um, <laughs> that's what I ended up doing. I was sort of working on these work, willing workers on organic farms. And, but that never lasted long because they actually genuinely wanted you to work. And willing I, workers. Yeah. So it's, it's called, called wolfing, wolfing. Willing workers on organic farms. So basically it's like tree change people who go, oh, we've got this great farm. Oh, it's a lot of work. Oh, we'll rope in some... Like volunteers. Uh, volunteers. Uh, and we'll feed uh, you and you can... Right. I love willing workers. Mine yeah. unwilling. Yeah. Well, I was unwilling. That's yeah. why I never... I remember I ruined a whole batch of macadamia nuts and I was sent on my, my way. Yeah. Oh. How? Well, you're not supposed to... I thought, I'll be helpful and I'll crack them all, but then they apparently... They go bad when you crack them. So. <laughs> you're like, hey, I'm working for you for free. Yeah. yeah. You get what you're given. I did it willingly. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand the contract. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, yeah. And, so where did you do your comedy then? Like, I'm basically at Melbourne Comedy Festival Foster Child. <laughs> I was immediately became a long-form comic and began writing our long shows and, you know, touring the, the festival circuit. Oh, I, yeah. I, I did do the club circuit for a bit. Because I could do, I'm really quite good at, you know, the 15 minutes, because I, you know, I know my way around a joke and I can do that, but I don't like it. <laughs> like, it just feels gladiatorial on the, if, yeah. especially if you're sharing the stage with, you know, say seven men, mm. uh, men's a, a strong word, and um, <laughs> that's catty. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so you're sharing, you know, you walk out on stage after, you know, maybe three or four blokes in a row doing casual rape jokes. Mm. And I began to go, oh, this is, I don't want to convince a crowd that's just been to like me, that's just been laughing so yeah. easily at that kind of material. And it is right, was right, but it's, it's less so now. But so I became a festival comic, right? Um, which is very funny, and the least festive person. <laughs> <laughs> is that more like it's your show, people come to your show, so you yeah. don't have to be on a bill with other people, yeah. and therefore you yeah. have a bit more of your own identity within it? Yeah, and also I think creatively it appealed to me, you know, like you get to, like if you've got five, ten minutes, you've got to do the, like, you've got the to get it. hits. Mm. Whereas I, I, you know, and I think it was evident in my first rounds of stand-up where I've got a dog in a freezer. <laughs> like I do need people to come into my world. Right. My manager who I've been with since I won that little competition, it's actually quite a big competition. The Raw. The Raw. Anyway, so he's been sort of guiding my career and, you know, he's always been, you know, he, never, he didn't take me on as like, well, she's going to be a prize-winning beast. Mm. So, you know, he's always sort of let me, you know, do these sort of slightly odd pathways. And so neither of us really expected Nanette. Like, when I first did Nanette, like, the first ever trial show, so in front of 60 shell-shocked people. Hmm. That was before there was any even a hint of a joke in there. So, so he's sort of been with me through this whole process and I've kept, of course, kept him as my uh, manager and he's, he has a connection to um, 
autism in his own, in his own family. But does he? Oh. Yeah. So he's we've sort of guided my you know how we're navigating this is a very autism friendly That's way. Great. So That's it's great. like the tour, uh, you know, has been very much planned to not break me. Mm-hmm. And because I did feel like when Nanette sort of took off, it just felt so dangerous and so slippery and you know everyone grabbing and I didn't understand it and because that's not why I wrote the show like I've never gone oh I want to I want to have a lot of meetings in Hollywood yes please (laughs) (laughs) but that's what happened hey I'm Ryan Reynolds recently I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts they said what the f*** are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Did you say a thing where you said there was a point after Nanette because it was so huge that you said I don't actually want to be told about anything that's being offered to me. You can't. Well, I didn't say it explicitly, but people just didn't tell me because right. I was just so completely overwhelmed. Mm. Um, so I think I have a very strong filter mm. system. Um, sometimes they'll tell me we've we've declined on your behalf, but you should know that you were asked. But a lot sort of like what sort of things? This. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not a very strong filter system. <laughs> Hello, idiot. <laughs> uh, always working. Always um, <laughs> <With> content. <laughs> oh, I, you know, I mean, it's such a broad range of things. Did, I mean, did people want to take you out of your domain and like put you in a? sitcom or put you yeah, in a thing, all those yeah, things. Yeah, I mean, sort of hinting in that direction. And I, I did take a lot of... Me- I had a meeting at Warner Brothers and everyone came, like, to the... Like, everybody. Like, people would kill for the meeting that I had and I had no idea what it was. I'm just like, this is a large table. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people. I mean, even the, the reality TV people came to that meeting. So that's <laughs> like, you're not what, what? <laughs> um... <laughs> It's like, why? But also, you know, and I remember this woman saying, you know, I work on The Bachelor. Oh. I'm like, gosh, why are you, why are you speaking? <laughs> um, <laughs> she's like, I work on the... And she said, this, she said, it's very popular in Australia. I, I don't know about Tanzania. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> she didn't know, yeah, she seriously. Did. And so half the table were just like, oh, and the other half like, mm. and I'm like, oh, oh golly. And um, of course I called her out. I said, did you say Tanzania? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's so um, Like, it just speaks to the, to the dissonance of the whole process. Yeah. Because mm. I was also just finished touring it. Like, I'd been touring it. And so when it popped onto Netflix, 
I was at the end of an, you know, 18 months of touring that show, which was killing me. Because well, you, mm. you were here, weren't you? Mm. Soho Rep. Mm. Soho Playhouse. Soho yeah. Playhouse. And so, you know, and it was, it's a, it was a brutal show to perform. Yeah. I guess I got to a stage where I wasn't necessarily living my own trauma as viscerally, but I was experiencing other people dealing with what I was putting in the room and mm. that, I couldn't ignore that, like mm. that was going through me as well. So it was, a, you know, so by the end of that I was absolutely <laughs> exhausted. So then to have these weird shiny meetings mm. off the back of that was yeah. kind of odd. And when you first did it, um, it was you said it didn't have any jokes in it. Was it is, is Nanette something? And is that how you work? Like is Douglas also the same thing? That's it's a it, it's sort of a, a larger thing that you you condense down or you. It's a. They, I really seem to write like a a bellows, you know, because <laughs> it expands and then you know I shift the emphasis. And it, when I first performed it in Perth of all places, because it wasn't as tight as it became, like it really became quite. You know, it's you know, it's. I'm very proud of the the structure, structure of the, the, the show as well as because mm. it needed to be in order to hold what I was doing. Absolutely, mm. like that. The I, you know, what I was trying to do with content could not have been done without you know the ten years of experience that I understood the craft of it in order mm. to you know put the form. You know, the form and the content were woven together like they're. And the deconstruction of it, and mm. that's also what I loved about. Douglas last night the de you know you deconstruct it before you even begin <laughs> I know it's yeah. bold yeah. but um, so the so <clears throat> before that so it was content without the fo a strong enough form to hold it mm -hmm. I remember I think the first or second night of proper ticket paying audience to see this show I got the most brutal heckle um, and it was just after I'd revealed it you know the sequence of trauma the yeah. list of trauma and then I started to speak about Picasso. And this bloke just goes, when was that though? <laughs> I said, sorry, what? He said, when did that happen though? And I'm like, but Picasso, yeah. And I'm like, oh, why do you ask? Just curious? And I, cause I'm, I'm heightened, cause I've just, you know, and I'm just like, just curious, of course you're curious, that is what a question is, you asshole. <laughs> like you don't ask a question if you're not curious. <laughs> I'm curious, why did you ask that question? Like it was just like, and I could see just people, like my, you know, because my manager was there and there's a few other people because they knew this was like, a sh they knew before I did what this show was. Right. And how sort of dangerous it was to put this into a room. Yeah. And I could so, sort of see them sort of running around <laughs> telling people to put their phones away. Um, <laughs> and so like, and so it's this hot moment. And I said, you know, of course it's, you're curious. You just asked a question, you asshole. And he's like, when was it? And I said, it was 1932. He said, it's not relevant. And I, and so then I just, I literally tore him a new asshole. Did like, you? And people still, like, who went to that show still talk about it. They've never seen a female performer shut down a man wow. in that way. Like, because it was, because I had, like, he, what he didn't know was I had a whole, whole show ready to pile onto that. So I just piled the whole show onto that man as an individual. And it's like, mm. there's one, and there's one, and there's one. But his heckle felt like an act of violence. Right. Because I've just gone, <coughs> oh, I been raped yeah. I've been beaten and he's like it doesn't matter right and I'm like yeah. here is how it does and right. it was but I did not like that 
But was, sure. he, was, he was also, was he referring to the Picasso bit? Yes. Because there's that bit, just for anyone who hasn't seen it, like it's the bit where you say Picasso was a 40-year-old man having a relationship with a 17-year-old girl yeah. and that was all deemed okay. And then what you build on from there is brilliantly yeah. explaining why she, it's that she's in her prime, isn't it? That's yeah. what it builds yeah, around. It's, it's like, incredible. It doesn't, doesn't yeah. matter. And I mean, we're seeing this play out with the Epstein case. Absolutely. So, like, mm. just so tone deafly. But the, what that, that moment did for me was to go, oh, I know what I'm doing has is so much bigger than me. Mm. So much bigger than me. Because, like, for a guy to sit in that audience and go, no, my voice needs to be heard. <laughs> right, at that. Like, and I'm like, so what that did to me was, like, to then focus on the form in order to hold the content. Mm. I see. Very much became then a show about trauma. Yes. And you know, the way that, because I still believe the way we tell our stories focuses on trauma itself, and that is why we don't get released from trauma because we keep talking about the trauma and nobody ever goes, but there's life after trauma. Mm. It flavors the life after trauma. Yes. But, and I think that's a lot to do with the silencing of, of women when they're older, like women when they're 17 or in their prime. But we never give you know, we in the space for the wisdom of age with women because it's like, well, you know, most older ladies I know are just like, oh, shit happens. Mm. But here we are. Would you like a cup of tea? Yeah. Mm. You know, and that's a voice we need where it's just like you need to see that people can, as you know, like we can hold trauma and move through it. And there is life and strength after trauma. Yes. Because you said at the end of the night about connection. It's all about connection. Do you think that is why only connect on written on my, Alan's arm? I've got a tattoo saying only connect. Is that kind yeah, of what, what you're looking for, do you think, when you're beginning to work on a show? Like by being radically honest and really vulnerable that hopefully I can connect? Yeah, that, I mean, I wrote Nanette not long after I was diagnosed with autism and mm. I understood finally why I'd felt such a profound sense of disconnect because mm. I didn't know how to connect because I was trying to connect by the way that I'd observed other people connecting, mm. which is not how I connect. So, I mean, Nanette is very much a show about the autistic mind and how I make connections between things that, you know, I see things that other people don't see. I miss things other people don't <laughs> let people to see. But I wanted to show that there is a, you know, the differently thinking you know, have, have something constructive to add to the conversation. Mm. But I chose not to say it in the net because I didn't want that prism. I didn't want that, the way to go, I'm gonna, oh, we can dis dismiss kind of what you're saying because you're a bit special needs, aren't you? You right. know, so I wanted to just go, here is the thing I can do. And that's why with Douglas now, I'm like, I could do that thing because of this thing. Right. I wanted to ask you a thing that I found that you know, I wrote a book about my dad and stuff like that, and I and and, and, it, and what I wanted one of the things that's kind of what you're talking about with Nanette is that what I didn't really expect was how much it would. I thought it was. I thought I was doing it for me, <laughs> um, and but how much people it affected other people and people mm -hmm. wrote to me and still every day I get it on you know mm -hmm. in some form, people saying, oh, you know, you writing your book made me able to talk to blah blah in my family or deal with something or you know made, give me more confidence to it's, talk about abuse it's an somewhere. incredible book and it it's 
Can I just give a quick pricey? Yes. Yeah. So in case people don't know, it's about you finding out the story of whether your dad is your real dad, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but that, and my, my grandfather, so yeah, it's sort mm. of a duel, but yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, the kicker is that my dad told me I wasn't his son. Mm. And I was. And oh, was um, that the kicker? What? Oh, was that the kicker? The, well, that, that was the kicker, were... actually. The fact that, because I, I, I didn't <laughs> want to be his son. Yeah. And I was happy, well, after the shock. Anyway, but other stuff happens too. Like my granddad died playing Russian roulette in Malaysia, stuff like that. And so, but, but what I find a really a surprising and amazing thing about the book, it was the reaction and the way that it helped people and the way that people still say to me that it enabled them to, um, you know, deal with issues in their lives and to do with abuse or just family, family, um, you know, the stuff of families. And that helped you too, no doubt. And that did help me. And it was absolutely, it, it, it made me realise why it was good for me to have written that book. And as I think you're saying about mm. Nanette. But what I found, especially in America, is there's this thing where people go, oh, that's so good, you did that, and you overcame that, you o mm. you've overcome it, and you've, and you've, you know, you've um, risen above it and it's over, and you've overcome it and you're this success. And what I found about the book and what I want to do in my next book, actually, or at least make it a theme, is that it's, you never overcome it. You talk about it, you put it out there, and you, your community engages with it, as you're saying. But actually, my dad is much more in my life than he ever was, ever before. And he sh as he should be, he's my dad, you know, he should be there. But I, I, and like, it doesn't go away. You just learn how to handle it better, and you, when it comes back, those emotions, you can embrace them and deal with them. But it's not like something that's sorted out and gone. No. And I think that's something that people don't understand here. No, my grandmother had a saying, it's like, <clears throat> it's all part of the soup. <laughs> Too late to take the onions out now. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> yeah, so the way, using that, the way I understood it is like, oh, trauma, under, when you haven't dealt with your trauma, the onions are still raw. Mm -hmm. So when, <laughs> you know, you don't take the onions out, you learn how to absorb it and it's part of your soup like it flavors your onions. soup yeah so it's like you need a bit of onion but that's you know the it's it's the unfair amount of onions that go in you know that's trauma and so you can't possibly cook the onions because it's all onions your soup is just onions right. <coughs> i'm really taking this metaphor no, no, really because it's almost like <laughs> even though it's just a bit of onion <coughs> it flavors the whole thing yeah and something yeah but you can't ring much. fence and go oh well this bit hasn't been affected by trauma because it's not related or it's yeah this. so it's yeah. all through it, it's, it's all through it's all part mm. of Absolutely. your soup and i think that's i like i like the soup analogy because yeah. uh does that I, make therapy vegetables because you can't even if you take <laughs> if you take no, oxtail. Um, so if you take, like, it's that sort of thing. It's the same, like, if you take the onion, you can take the actual physical onions out of the soup, but it is still through the soup. It's in still there. there. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to change the subject, if I Good. may, and ask you about the thing that I love so much, the pouch of Douglas. Could you explain <laughs> the pouch of Douglas <laughs> to our <laughs> listeners? Well, it's, um, it's, a, it's a part of the female reproductive uh, environment, as I say. <laughs> In the show, I say it sits between the anal cavity and the fem uh, and the uterus. Um, so it's a little piece of uh, yeah. real estate. Yeah, hmm. sort of like to make sure that you know when things are need a bit more space. When you're having a baby. Uh, you know, and other reasons, and sometimes it, you know, you know, can. Uh, it, but there's also like a lot of the female reproductive environment has has men's name on it, like that's, that's fallopian. 
that's a man's. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah. Like, mm. there's quite a lot. I didn't know that. There's, there's got a lot of, what, you know, like, you know, every time I think of things like Trump Tower, like, just put your, yeah. put your name on things. Yeah. Like, it's like, oh, gosh, that's yeah. right through us. Like, men yeah. have just gone, Mine, mine, I saw that. So there's, like, so there's also the pouch of Douglas, there's the sheath of Douglas, there's the fold of Douglas. Like, he is, well, he's got a few. Oh, yeah. He's, oh. you know, he's, he's owning the Monopoly board down there. <laughs> um. <laughs> and Douglas, and, uh, but who, I know it's funny because I just think about your dog, the title <laughs> of your show, your dog mm. called Douglas. But who, who was this Douglas person? He was a... He was a doctor, a, hopefully, of some yeah, kind. Well, I mean, <laughs> doctor. Um, so, sort of 18th century, you know, anatomist, really, and, and man midwife. He was the midwife to the queen there for a little bit as well. The reason I talk about it in the show, it's not explicit, but it's implicit, is, is the sort of gender bias in, um, in medicine. Yeah, like it's colonisation again. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. In, in the sense that a lot of most studies... On, on most diseases, etc., is, is done on men as the, as the male neutral, human neutral. Mm. And so something like autism, women go undiagnosed because of that chauvinism. Mm. Right. Like uh, I went through quite a lot of really criminal misdiagnosis and dismissal. For your autism? Yeah, because it, you know, and because the way hormones affect the autistic brain, I can have normal hormonal levels, but they affect me quite you know because of the, all sorts of things but it was that you know like you're making it up you're mm. not really like this is phantom or some you know like that is so common for women yes like bec- and and you feel like you're going insane because there's no medical explanation for this and, yeah, and for a lot of doctors that's enough but what goes deeper than that there's not enough medical research into that so do you mean like because of like when you say hormone you mean like having your periods well, well, obviously it affects everything, but I mean, the autism has... It's the way the brain, chemis- brain chemistry and hormones, it's sort of like, it's, you know, that's why adolescence and uh, some parts of childhood are really difficult for autistic kids. Because all the... Yeah, you see, you so often see these, you know, the kid, autistic kids defined by these outbursts. Yes. Mm. And that's really, a really adolescent hormonal thing that can, you know, like, adolescence is hard for everyone, yeah. but this is a, this is a particularly difficult thing because the, I, you know, I don't understand any science properly to speak, you know, but it is part of the distress of it. But also anxiety and depression are very prevalent in, in, in people with, with autism because trauma is often compounded. There's a lot of shame involved, particularly for women on the spectrum because we're, we're expected to be certain types of people and uh, the, brain func- the way our brains function, you know, I'm quite blunt, but as a woman I'm supposed to not be at all mm-hmm. like uh, you know I probably wouldn't be have nearly nearly the amount of you know dysfunction had I been born a guy you know because you know especially a guy in the 50s I could have had a mum looking after me then a, then a wife and a secretary right. I could have just been a mad genius or whatever yes. the hell they do and they don't have to do all the things that women have to do so the expectations on women mm-hmm. like compound the ang- social anxiety and once I understood I had autism, I was like, I don't need any of that. Right. I don't have to buy into that. People can judge me for not doing these things as a woman, but I'm much healthier not trying to participate. To what did it feel like if there was a day when you understood that? Oh, it was wonderful. Really? It was just so good. Because I'm like, oh. Did you suspect? Well, 
No, not not until people. You know, people kept telling me, and I sort of dismissed it. I was like, because I didn't understand how I could have it. And then, for some, you know, reason, it was actually after I saw Dr. Dick Biscuit, as I as I called him, in the show, um, <laughs> <laughs> that I don't know what, you know, the the sequence of thoughts was in my head, but it had a lot to do with Douglas just looking at me because he's just like looking at me, and I'm like. I'm like, yeah, you get it, buddy. Mm. <laughs> like this sort of connection. And, uh, you know, I started Googling women with autism and the, the, just the first few things that popped up, it was just felt like my life came into focus. Mm. Things that I didn't know were a problem, that were a problem. Like what? Uh, just sort of, I didn't know that people had fun when they socialised. <laughs> I had no idea. Hi, that really? I, no, I didn't. I just thought this is hard for everyone. Surely some are people are a lot better than this. Like I didn't right. know that everyone's tracking everything in the room manually in their heads. They're just actually having a nice time. Right. Whereas I'm just like this is like I'm, I call myself sometimes Sherlock Homo. I solve crimes that are not crime, like just like non-issues. So like because you know I can walk out of a room and I can tell people exactly what was going on in the room. Like were you there? Because I hadn't spoken. Like, I have these strengths. That's what's often forgotten about autism. Mm. That it's seen as a, as a thing where it's, you're devoid of strengths and you've just got all these things that make it difficult. Mm. I, that's what I'm trying to do with this show. Is like there, are, you know, there are deficits, absolutely. Mm. But, you know, there are strengths. You know, I see things that people don't. Mm. Um, and I make connections because I'm a manual thinker. I make connections that people have just skated across mm. because I've, I've gone, it could be that, it could be that, it could be that. Uh, thank you so much, Hannah. Thank you this so such much. Fun. Oh, have we started? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've just been enjoying some lovely grapes while we, everyone was listening to Hannah Gadsby, haven't we, Alan? Yes. Oh, oh well, sorry. Well, I've taken quite a few there. I love her. I thought that was a brilliant interview. Do you know what my favourite bit was? No. Is when you said to her... Oh, where's so, my bean, where's my bum bag? Well, yeah. <laughs> and then when you said to her, "So what kind of stuff do your agents turn down on on your behalf?" and she went, "This." <laughs> <laughs> She's so sharp and She's so sharp as a nail. And she's so sharp she'll cut herself. Yeah, I love her. And listeners, while I finish off that grape shit eating again, um. Please write and let us know what you think of that interview. Yes. Um, hello. At, uh, shall I let you do the email? It's hello at homosapienspodcast.com. And uh, you can buy T-shirts from everpress.com forward slash homosapiens. I still don't like that. Or you can buy... Um, or you can buy sweaters there. You have to, people always write in and ask this question, so I'm just going to fill you in. You have to toggle between the two things of T-shirt and then you can scroll down and you can see jumper because other people... See, it's, people it's, I don't think that, I think it should just be pictures of them. And you should, that's why if you go to alancoming.com forward slash shop, we can put a picture of the T-shirt and they click on the T-shirt and take you to the place that's ever post, hard Who's going to post them? Pardon? Who's going to post them? My assistant. Matt? Yeah. And then you put a picture of the sweatshirt and take you to, to the sweatshirt at the Everhard Baths or whatever it's called. What was it, Everpress? Yeah. Well, do you know what's great about this conversation? What? It's, it's going to be cut. It's <laughs> <laughs> Over my dear body. <laughs> this is just going to be wonderfully confusing for our listeners, which I think is great. Yes. Guys, vote with your feet. We'll, we'll get the stats on the Everpress website. Yes, we'll do, our, we'll do my um, mm. insights. And please, for goodness sake, subscribe to the... <laughs> please, 
please subscribe to uh, press subscribe while you, wherever it is that you're listening so you can get every new episode yeah. in your inbox free and uh, every uh, time the show comes out and yeah. lovely thanks for listening thanks so much see you next time same time same channel bisous wait wait 